Well, good morning as we look at God's Word together today. I'm beginning at just a brief two-part sermon series, two-week sermon series, on what will heaven be like? What, what is heaven like? Um, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I wonder if that's true of many of us. Do we really eagerly await a Savior? Or do we have any anticipation, any excitement about heaven, any longing for heaven in our lives? I really think that many of us do not. And I think that one of the reasons that we don't is because we've got a misconception of what heaven will be like. And so what I want to do uh, today is try to to correct what I think is the popular understanding of what heaven will be like. We're going to look at the Bible and see what the Bible says heaven will be like. I've got a cartoon to show you here that I think sort of depicts um, the popular understanding of, of heaven. This is how you often see heaven depicted in uh, cartoons. Uh, and everything about this depiction of heaven is wrong, in my opinion. Everything about it is wrong. First of all, the guy's got a halo. Uh, the word halo is never in the Bible. Halo is an invention of art. Uh, the, the Bible doesn't say anything about us having halos. The wings are wrong. Uh, nothing in the Bible says that we're going to have wings. We get the idea of this probably from a popular understanding that, that people become angels in heaven. You know, Every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings, you, you know? Great movie, bad theology right there, you know? We don't become angels in heaven. Angels are a separate order of created beings. God created humans. He created angels. There's not a metamorphosis from humans to angels. So I think the wings are wrong. Um, the robe with the bare feet, that's, uh, well, the Bible does talk about robes, but I really think it's a symbolic passage. Robes, your clothing in the Bible, when it's referring to eternity, always represents your righteousness. So we naturally have righteousness that is like filthy rags, the Bible says, but we're going to be clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So it says the saints wore the white robes, which is the righteous act. So uh, that, I think that's symbolic. I'm not sure we're going to be wearing robes in heaven. The clouds are really wrong. You get this idea of some people, you know, in popular culture that heaven's up there, we're floating around in the clouds like an angel soft toilet paper commercial, you know, and, 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 we're, and that's, that's totally wrong. What we're going to see today from the scripture is that heaven is going to be a rock-solid place when we're in resurrection bodies in a new heaven and a new earth. Not going to be in the clouds. And the worst part about this cartoon that's wrong is that heaven is depicted as boring. I wish I'd brought a magazine, you know, he says. Uh, but that's the idea. Was, you know, and I'm not sure I would like heaven. Are we just sitting around up there in the clouds? Is it going to be dull? Is it going to be boring? And this is where we've bought into the lie of Satan. In so many ways in our culture, you see, what Satan subtly has done has convinced us that his stuff is exciting or good and that God's stuff is boring. You go to a restaurant, and they advertise the dessert on the menu, and it says, sinfully rich. And we think, ooh, I've got to get that. It's sinfully rich. 
You know, like that's a really good thing. So in our pop culture, you can put the word sinfully in, uh, in marketing now, and it creates a positive experience. We don't say, ooh, I don't want that. It's sinfully rich. No, you know, we don't. chocolate decadence, you know. Or Las Vegas uh, bills itself as sin city. People don't stay away because it's in, they, they go. So you see what Satan has done? Satan, um, and Satan can give joy, but it is very short-lived joy. It's really not joy. He can give pleasure maybe, but it's short-lived. And only God gives eternal pleasure. Let me share with you a verse from Psalm 1611. It says, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. That's heaven. Eternal pleasures at his right hand. Don't believe the lies of Satan that uh, he can offer you and that his, his um, life, it brings joy. Only God brings joy. And heaven is going to be a place of being filled with joy in his presence of eternal pleasures at his right hand. So today what we want to look at is sort of counteract that cartoon and that popular understanding of heaven, and we want to try to, to see what heaven is really like. Um, I love uh, Mark Twain, Huckleberry Finn, great book, bad theology, great book, bad theology. And so here's a quote from Huckleberry Finn, uh, Finn uh, Tom Sawyer. Uh, Huckleberry Finn is talking about Miss Watson and she told him about heaven. According to Huck, she went on and told me all about the good place. She said all a body would have to do there was go around all day long with a harp and sing forever and ever, so I didn't think much of it. I asked her if she reckoned Tom Sawyer would go there and she said not by a considerable sight. And I was glad about that because I wanted uh, him and me to be together. So there's the view we got. Hell's going to be a party. It's the fun people are going to be in hell. It's going to be better in hell. We'll drink. We'll have a party. Man, we bought into Satan's lie. Because hell is going to be loneliness and separation and punishment. And heaven is going to be eternal pleasure at his right hand. So we're going to look today to see uh, what the Bible says hell will be like. Now, we're really just beginning at the foundation. You may say at the end of this sermon, you didn't talk about the main things of heaven, and you're right. That comes next week. We're going to talk about relationships. Your relationship to God in heaven, your relationship to other people. Will we know others? How will we relate? Will we be married in heaven? If you're married on earth, you're going to look at relationships in heaven. Most important part next week, today we're laying the foundation for that. So let me begin by sharing what the word heaven means in the Bible because there are three different usages of the word heaven in Scripture, and we'll need to separate these to understand. First of all, the Bible talks about heaven as the sky. The first heaven, if you're standing on the earth, the first heaven is the sky, where the birds fly, where the clouds are. And, and yes, um, that's, that's used as heaven. Jesus said, the birds of the heavens are fed by their heavenly Father. The Bible says the heavens opened and rain came down. That's the first heaven. The second heaven is what we would call outer space. Uh, and so the Bible uses the word heaven to refer to the place where the moon and stars are. When I consider the heavens, Psalm 8, the work of your hand, the moon and the stars which you have made, what is man that you are mindful of him? Psalm 19.1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. That's talking about the beautiful galaxies and the stars and the moon and where the planets are, what we would call space. 
That's the second heaven. But beyond the first heaven, the sky, and beyond the second heaven of space, there is a third heaven, and that's the dwelling of God. That's paradise. That's where God lives, or that is called paradise in the Bible. That's what we think of as the spiritual realm of heaven. And so, yes, Jesus, when he left here, he ascended through the clouds, and it says one day he's coming back with the clouds, but he didn't stop in the first heaven. He just went through the clouds and beyond outer space and somewhere beyond what we know as space, somewhere beyond our known universe is a real place beyond that, the dwelling of God that is heaven. And that's where Jesus went to and that's where he's going to come back from and he's going to come back with the clouds coming down through that second and first heaven. He said, you will see him coming in the clouds. Let me show you a passage of Scripture where Paul talked about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 through 4. I know a man in Christ, he's talking about himself, he's being a little bit modest. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. You see it there? He says, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. So Paul said, God showed me heaven. He said, I don't know if I was bodily transported or if this was a vision. He says, I'm not really sure what happened. God knows. And I know this man, verse 3, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. God knows. Was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. So the third heaven called paradise here, beyond that first and second heaven, a real place where God dwells. Paul got a glimpse of it where Jesus ascended to, where he's coming back from. And so that place is where believers go when we die. When you die, your spirit's going to be separated from your body, whether you're a believer or unbeliever. But if you're a believer, your spirit is going to go not to a place of torment, but your spirit is going to go to paradise. And so your spirit's going to go to that real place beyond the first and second heaven to be with God in paradise. And so for those of you who have had loved ones who've died recently and you naturally want to know, what is that like? Where, what are they like there? The Bible doesn't tell us all that we want to know. He tells us that we're with Christ. And that's really all we have to know. We know we're with other believers. You're gathered to your people. It says of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, gathered to their people. So you're with Christ and one another. In a spiritual form, your body's not there, but your spirit is there. And the Bible says that it is better by far. So it doesn't tell us a lot about that paradise, about that third heaven, about where we go when we die, except that we're in the presence of God and his angels. We're with all other believers who've died waiting for the resurrection there. And it is better than this earth, Paul says, by far. Now, the ultimate heaven, though, is different that we want to talk about now. The ultimate heaven, when Jesus comes back again, we're going to be resurrected in bodies. So it's not a spirit place where we are there, but it's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Let me read to you Revelation 21, verse uh, 1. Revelation 21, 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So here's where we get, I get our definitions of heaven. So the ultimate heaven is going to include a new heaven and a new earth. 
That is, it's using that word heaven now in terms of the first two uses of the word. The new heaven, the, the permanent heaven, is going to have a new earth and a new sky and new outer space. That is, it's a new universe. It's a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And what I believe is going to happen, as we'll see from Scripture, is that God is going to remake this universe, this earth that we're on now, and he's going to redeem it and make it into the new heaven and the new earth. And it says in Revelation 22.3, also on your screen there, that there will no longer will there be any curse. You see, our current world, our current universe is under a curse. It's messed up, isn't it? Have you ever gotten poison ivy? It's messed up, isn't it? And there are tornadoes that, that destroy homes, and, and there are Japanese beetles in your garden, and there are, there are cancer cells that grow in bodies, and there are babies that are born with too many chromosomes, and our world is messed up. The reason it is messed up is because we're under a curse. And in Genesis 3, when we, when we sinned, we dragged all of the universe down with us, the Bible says. God, we brought the curse of death upon ourselves, but that wasn't the only result of our sin. We also brought decay and disorder and destruction to our universe. It's out of whack. And God said, cursed is the ground because of you, and it'll bring forth thorns and thistles, and in thorns and thistles you'll eat your bread. Thorns and thistles, part of that curse. Now, when Jesus came... He became a curse for us that he might redeem us from the curse. So Jesus took the curse of death upon himself to free us from death. He saved us from the curse by absorbing the curse himself, the Bible says. And so now we're going to go to paradise with him when we die, but we still die physically, don't we? So this earth is still waiting for the total redemption. Let me read this to you in Romans chapter 8. Verses 19 through 23. Romans 8, 19. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. That says this whole world that's messed up, that's out of whack, is waiting for you and I, our salvation to be complete because it'll be completed as well. The next verse says, For the creation was subjected to frustration. There's the curse. Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So the whole universe fell with us and was dragged down and now it's messed up and out of whack and it's as if the creation is longing for the completion of our salvation when we're resurrected in bodies because just as it was dragged down with us, God, who always has the last word, is going to restore it with us. And it says in verse 22, we know the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Oh, the creation is groaning, waiting for its redemption along with us. And he says the pain of this earth, here's a little bit of thing that helps us with, deal with the pain of of cancer and innocent kids that die of starvation in a messed up world. It is the pain of childbirth. This pain is about to bring forth something beautiful and wonderful. 
this travail is going to bring new birth. And it says, verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we've already been saved, we've got the Holy Spirit in our lives, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Have you ever groaned for a new body? When you have arthritis, when you have something wrong, have you, have you longed, oh God, oh, I wish this back pain would go away. We're groaning, we're longing for, for a new body. And it says, as we groan and long for the redemption of our bodies, our, our spirits are saved, but our salvation isn't complete to the resurrection where he's going to save us spirit and body. So we're just, we long for that, don't we? It says all of creation is longing with us too. This whole world order that has cancer warped into it now is longing for that liberation from decay, liberation from disease. And that's what's going to happen when Christ returns. He's not only going to resurrect us, but he's going to give us a real place to live in in resurrected bodies. He's going to remake this world. Let's look at, at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire. And the verses right before this talk about the destruction by flood when God judged the world previously. Now he's making a comparison. By the same word, the present heavens and earth. So now it's the word heavens referring to the sky and outer space, right? The heavens and the earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Verse 11, just the same chapter. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens, that is, of the sky and outer space and planets and stars, by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. Some kind of cosmic event like the flood. This is going to be a fire. And cosmic event is going to melt. But, verse 13, in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So Christians differ whether he's going to completely destroy this and make a new one or whether he's going to remake the universe that we have into the new heaven and the new earth. I believe he's going to remake the present heaven and earth that we have into that new heaven and new earth because I believe that's what some of these words indicate. The elements will be laid bare. I believe that's what happened in the first destruction when he destroyed the earth the first time. He didn't destroy our planet. He just wiped the surface of it clean, right? And then he remade it from the ark. And I believe that God is not going to let Satan have final victory that this world that he created and said is good, good, very good. It's not going to be destroyed completely. He is going to melt it with heat And he is going to reduce it to its bare elements. And then from it, he's going to recreate a new heaven, stars, planets, sky, and a new earth. And so heaven, the final destination, will be like this present universe without decay and disease and things that are out of whack and weather systems fouled up and and all of the other. So you want to know what heaven's going to be like? The best you've ever seen of this earth. When this earth, the best sunset, the best Grand Canyon Vista, the best you've ever experienced here. It's just a taste of what heaven will be like. Because he's going to remake this into a new heaven and a new earth. 
and, and so the things that we love about this earth will be even better. And there'll be both familiarity and newness. You know, we like familiarity and we like newness, don't we? Exciting new adventures, home. We like the, it's going to be both. It'll have all the familiarity of home, but all the newness of an amazing world. Let me read to you from the last battle, the final book in the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, C.S. Lewis books. And the children are coming into this new land, and they're trying to figure out what it's like. And, it, and he says, and so Edmund says, look at those mountains ahead. They're rather like the mountains we used to see from Narnia. Yes, they are, said Peter, only these are bigger. I don't think those are so very like anything in Narnia, said Lucy, but look there. She pointed to the south, those hills, the nice woodsy ones and the blue ones. Aren't they like the southern border of, of Narnia? Like, cried Edmund. Why, they're exactly like. Look, there's Mount Pyre. And yet they're not like, said Lucy. They're different. They have more colors. They look farther away. They're more, they're more I don't know, more like the real thing, said the Lord Diggory softly. And suddenly, Farsight the eagle spread his wings and soared 30 or 40 feet up in the air and circled around and lighted on the ground. Kings and queens, he cried, we've been blind. We're only beginning to see where we are. From up here, I've seen it all. Beaverdam, the great river, Caraparavel, still shining on the edge of the eastern sea. Narnia is not dead. This is Narnia. But how can it be, said Peter. Aslan told us we'd never return to Narnia. Yes, said Eustace, and we saw it all destroyed and the sun put out. And it's all so different, said Lucy. The eagle is right, said Lord Diggory. Listen, Peter, when Aslan said you could never go back to Narnia, he meant the Narnia you were thinking of. But that was not the real Narnia. It had a beginning and an end. It was only a shadow or a copy of the real Narnia, which has always been here and always will be. England, and all it is is a shadow or copy of Aslan's real world. You need not mourn over Narnia. All the old Narnia that mattered, all the dear creatures, have been drawn into the real Narnia through the door. And, of course, it's different. As different as a real thing is from a shadow or as his waking is from a dream. You get the idea? God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth with familiarity and with newness. And you see what this does? It frees us from thinking we have to do everything on this earth. It's of great comfort to those who die early in life and do not get to do all that they wanted to do or go everywhere they wanted to go. Because there is going to be the opportunity to do everything in a world far better. And what God, what death takes away, God restores fully. 1986, I got up in the middle of the night, one spring night, went to the observatory at Cleveland State Community College in Cleveland, Tennessee, 3 a.m. to see Halley's Comet. It only comes once every 75 years. I went, stood in line, 3 a.m., middle of the night, outside, standing in line, waiting to get into a telescope to see Halley's Comet. It was cloudy. Didn't get to see it. They came out and said, you're not going to be able to see anything. We got it on a film. If you were going to go in the auditorium, we filed in an auditorium set, and I sit there thinking to myself, I am at 3 a.m. sitting in a theater watching a movie I could watch in the middle of the day sometime. What is this about? It's coming back around July 26, 2061. 44 years from now, I won't be here to see it. Some of you will. 
Think of me when Halley's Comet comes back around. Some of you young people. I didn't get to see it. You're going to get to see it. Maybe, if it's not cloudy. There are things a whole lot bigger than that that people miss, right? A whole lot bigger than that. But here's the thing. God's going to restore it all. I'm going to see the new Halley's Comet in the new heaven and the new earth. And you, get, you, don't, you don't have to complete your bucket list on earth. Don't let your bucket list drive you on earth. Let God's will drive your life. And if doing God's will, you don't get to go everywhere and do everything that you do, it's going to be okay. Because you believe in Him, you're going to be a part of a new heaven and a new earth. And those experiences will be even greater. Now, kids ask me, will there be animals in heaven? Will there be dinosaurs in heaven? And I do not know for certain, but my answer based on Scripture is yes. Acts 3.21 says that he's going to restore all things. And he created dinosaurs and something happened to it, an asteroid hit or something. I don't know why they went extinct. There are a lot of extinct... There used to be Carolina parakeets in the southeast when the, when the settlers first came in the 1700s. None of us have ever seen a Carolina parakeet. They said that the skies used to be darkened with them. We've never seen native parakeets here. But in the new heaven and the new earth, when he restores all things and undoes the curse and everything that has been lost will be put back, and I believe dinosaurs will be there as well. Pets be there. I imagine you can have pets. Question I do not know that kids ask me, will I have my pet? I'm not sure that God is going to resurrect your pets, but I don't know that. C.S. Lewis said yes. John Piper said yes. I'm not sure about that based on Scripture, but the whole, the new heaven and the new earth will be restored. Now let me share with you something that may, have I got time to share this? Yeah, I'll cut out something else. I'll share this. Okay. Here's something just to maybe rock your world a little bit. You just think about it. I don't know for sure, okay? I wonder if maybe the animals, we can understand them in heaven, that they will talk. Or that they'll express in a language just like now. I don't understand Spanish, French, but in heaven we're going to understand each other. I wonder, because here's why. Let me share with it before you think I'm crazy. Psalm 148 talks about who's going to praise the Lord, and it says the angels. It says the humans, the maidservant, and then it says the cattle and all creatures will praise the Lord. And Psalm 150 ends, it says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And I used to think that when Balaam's donkey talked, you know that Bible story? I used to think that that was just God doing an amazing miracle, and he can do anything, so he could put words in a donkey to warn his prophet. But what if the fall has brought down so much that that was, it says he opened the mouth of the donkey. Let me read to you Rome, uh, Revelation chapter 5, verse 13. Revelation 5, 13 says, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. I just wonder if a humpback quail is not going to rise up out of the ocean and go, and we're going to be able to understand. Praise to the Lamb forever and ever. 
I just wonder if God is not going to bring all of his creation to voice praise to Jesus and to give honor to the one who has liberated us from decay and disease. Let all creation, let everything that has breath, praise the Lord. What are we going to do in heaven? Heaven will be not only a new heaven and a new earth, like a big nature preserve, like a Garden of Eden redone with mountains and waterfalls and streams and, and tigers and brontosauruses and, and uh, butterflies and all of the rest. It will be that. But it is also going to be at the center of it a holy city. Go back to Revelation. And it says in Revelation chapter 21, verse 2, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. You see, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. What's the place he's preparing? If this earth is going to be recreated in the final days for the new heaven and the new earth, well, there is coming a city for the center of that earth, coming down out of paradise, the dwelling place of God, that capital city to be placed here, so that heaven will be both the, the country and the city. Do you ever go to Nashville to go to uh, the symphony or a Predators game or something to eat out? You like the city a little bit? You like the, you like the country? It's going to be both in heaven. It's going to be the beauty of the new heaven, but with the energy and the community and the fellowship of the city. So what are we going to do in heaven? The Bible says two things, two words. First of all, we're going to serve in heaven. Revelation 22.3. We've got to go fast now to get through this. Revelation 23.3, it says, and his servants will serve him. The word serve means two things. It means worship. We're going to worship like we've done today. You need to worship now because you're going to worship in heaven. But the word also means work. When it says we will serve him, I believe you're going to work in heaven. Work was there before the curse. The, the curse part of work is the sweat and the frustration and the fatigue and the things don't go right. But the joy of serving God, Adam was caring for the garden. And so we're going to work. you'll be able to, to do work in heaven. It won't be boring. The pursuits you could not pursue here. You ever had a, a cat and it brought a mouse and laid it on its doorstep? You ever had that? You, your kid ever given you a picture and you wanted to put it on your refrigerator? They wanted you to do that? That's what you'll do in heaven for the king. You come and lay things at his feet. You put it on his refrigerator. And you think Rembrandt could paint pretty well in the old heaven and earth? Think what he'll paint for God's refrigerator in the new heaven. You think Chris Tomlin can write songs in the old earth? What will he write in a resurrected body in the new heaven and the new earth? And we will serve him. And it says in Revelation chapter 21, verse 24, the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. And you'll bring the works of your hands. Now some of us are going to have to change occupations. Funeral directors, I don't know what you're going to do in heaven. Dennis, uh, dentists, doctors, insurance salesmen, some of those things, you're going to redirect your passions to something else, but we're going to work, going to serve him in heaven. And the other thing that we will do, we will reign. Revelation 22, 5 says, and they will reign forever and ever. We'll reign over creation. We'll reign over angels, the Bible says, and we will reign over cities. Don't have the time to tell you where those are found. Heaven. It's going to be a wonderful place. The most important question is, you're going to be there? You have your ticket? Heaven is a relationship with Jesus Christ. You have no relationship with him now. You'll not be in heaven. Jesus is the door to heaven. 
And the default is that all of us are on the wide road headed to hell. You don't have to do anything to go to hell. We're all headed to hell. It's the default path. But there's a small gate to the side, and Jesus has died for you. And if you will turn to Jesus and say, I believe in you, I accept your death on the cross as being on my behalf. I want the curse broken in my life then when you die, your spirit will leave your body and you'll go through the clouds and the outer space to that third heaven and there you'll be with him, far better place forever until he comes again and resurrects us and recreates a new heaven and a new earth where in bodies we will run and jump and play and work and worship and serve forever the Lamb who has saved us. Today you could get on that path to heaven. Would you stand together with me? We're going to sing a song And I'm going to invite you while we sing to to walk forward. If you say, I want to go to heaven. It's not just that. I want Jesus in my life now. I surrender my life for him to be Lord now. But I want to begin eternal life. Eternal life can begin as a procession in your life right now that will continue through heaven. Would you put your faith in Jesus and next baptism opportunity, you can do what these children and youth did today.